أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيد الأولين والآخرين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقرة من لساني يفقه قولي We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we send peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, upon his family and his companions and those who followed them until the end of time. Alhamdulillah. It's good to see everyone back. MashaAllah. See Anwar now is a big 5-0. Alhamdulillah. 50 years, man. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. May Allah SWT increase you and khair inshaAllah. No problem. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. And as we get started, uh, we're all aware of, of the tremendous changes that have happened across the world and the globe, uh, specifically uh, in Western Ethiopia, where there is almost indescribable what's happening and the world isn't paying attention. And then, of course, in Afghanistan, uh, we make dua for brothers and sisters in Western Ethiopia and Afghanistan, as well as Algeria, where there's these fires and so many things happening in the world. So I want to encourage everyone to support, you know, NY works for Islamic Relief, so support organizations like Islamic Relief um, and others that are on the ground trying to do the best they can to make sure that people are able to sustain themselves. So people ask, what's the most important thing we can do now? Is Alhamdulillah, of course, handle our obligations to Allah in our personal space and then handle the communal obligations which people in places like Afghanistan and other parts of the world have upon us. That's to organize and come to their aid as best we can. Alhamdulillah, every week we gather to read from this very important text, I believe that this text, and I'm trying now at Swiss to make two books that were written by Imam al-Ghazali part of high school and college curriculum for English-speaking Muslims. The first book is, is this book, Al-Munhaj uh, al-Abideen, where Imam al-Ghazali talks about seven challenges to living a life of faith. And one of the ones that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks are like, why do bad things happen, right? The challenge of trauma, the challenge of pain, the challenge of loss. He actually mentions that as one of the four, what he calls, right? These major prohibitors, these things that will stop you from having a relationship with Allah. And, and, and just to center ourselves again, the entire discussion is, what are these things that keep us from worship? What are these things that keep us from living a life of faith? So we've gone through two of them. And last week, alhamdulillah, we finished the tawbah. And before that, he talked about knowledge. That takes us now to the third. And you'll recall that he says in the introduction, we started, I think, in February, that to live a life of worship is not necessarily easy. It, it demands effort. It comes with a set of challenges. 
And one of the fourth from these kind of major challenges is what do bad things happen? So we'll start, inshallah, now the third part of this journey. The journey to become more focused in the purpose of our life. So he says, قَالَ رَحِيمُهُ اللَّهِ نَفْعَنَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ بِعِلْمِهِ فِي دَارِينِ آمِينَ قَالَ الْعَقَبَةُ الثَارِثَةِ This is the longest part of our journey, guys. This book is kind of like a path that we're on, right? This is the longest part of the text. The third obstacle are the, the foundational things that are going to try to like be barriers from you living a life of faith. They're going to try to block you. So he says, Rahimahullah, he says, then it is upon you, you who are seeking worship. Because if you made it this far in the book, obviously there's like, you've agreed to this, this principle, this kind of, this idea, right? We have to live lives of worship. And, and I prefer actually with some of my students, I don't call them talibul ilm. I like to call them Talib al-Ibadah. That centers us on, on our purpose. ثُمَّ عَلَيْكَ يَا طَالِبَ الْعِبَادَةِ وَفَّقَقَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بِدَفْعِ الْعَوَائِقِ Al-Awaiqa in Arabic means al-mawani. Those things that prohibit you from doing something. حَتَّى تَسْتَقِيمَ عِبَادَتُكِ Until your worship is upright. So, you have to discipline these things and push them away in an unhealthy way because he's not going to suggest that you completely get rid of some of these. He's talking about nuance, measuring them, balancing them. And that's not a one-time thing. This constant need to, to control these, these things that he's going to talk about and to, uh, to discipline them is a lifelong process. Most people can't do this. That's just the reality. Most people don't care enough about their hereafter to control their dunya. So he says, You have to repel these four things such that your worship is upright. And in the introduction of the text, we, we, we read them. He said, and we mentioned that those are four. What were they? Al-dunya, al-nafs, al-shaytan, and why do bad things happen? These, he says, are the four major obstacles that are going to try to corrupt your worship and corrupt your purpose. The temporary world, shaitan, our own desires, and the problem of suffering. 
It's like the Sheikh is alive today, man. Ahaduha dunya wa ma fiha. And he says the first is the dunya. And everything contained in the dunya. From a theological standpoint, we view the dunya as something temporary. That's why it's called a dunya. Dunya means something that has no value, something that is close, something that is temporary. And from the point of theology, we believe that everything except Allah is temporary and in need of something. The word for something being temporary is hadith, like the word hadith, hadith. The word for being in need of something is iftiqar, muftaqir. Sayyidina Sheikh Dardir, he says in his poem in Islamic theology, this very important book in theology. And this is something we should teach, I believe, at a high school level. We don't teach zuhd to Muslim students. We don't teach young Muslims to disconnect from the dunya. We don't teach them that the, this dunya does have, has very little value. We don't teach that. That's a problem. That's one of the fundamental teachings of the Prophet Somebody will say, but they're too young. But remember, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar is the one who narrates the hadith of the Prophet If you awaken in the morning, don't expect to see the evening. And if you see the evening, don't expect to see the morning. <coughs> and take from your health before you're sick and take from your youth before you get old. This is something that should form like part of the pedagogy of, of Muslims. Because we live now in a monoculture which is largely driven by an unhealthy attachment to the temporary world. So the first is we believe that everything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a beginning and an end. All matter has a beginning and an end. That's why it can't create itself. The creator of all that has to be outside of that. It can have the qualities of those things or then it becomes those things. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hayyu qayyum. The second is muftaqir. In theology, the word is qiyam. Qiyam means to stand. But in theology, qiyam means to live, to exist. Qa'im. But I live because of what? oxygen, be my family, be food, be water, be love. Be support, 
be blood pressure, be good health. Ba' here means because. But as Imam al-Razi, Imam Ahl sunnah in theology he mentions, and Mu'anam fi usul al-Din, Allahu Azza wa Jalla qama bi nafsi, Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists on his own, by his own will. We do not exist by our own will. That's why we say, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyu al-qayyum. La ta'khuduhu sinatu wa ranaw is huduth. So if you think about Ayatul Kursi, everything I just said is there. That Allah is ghani, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need anything from anybody. What's the evidence for this? Hayyu qayyum. What's the evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't change, have a beginning or end? La ta'khuduhu sinatu wa ranaw. But everything else exists because of him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his irada, his will, his everlasting primordial will causes all things to happen. Doesn't tire. He's not muftaqir. He's not hadith. Allahu Akbar. He then in Surah Ayatul Kursi. I just showed you both of these principles right there in front of you. So we believe creation is hadith, muftaqir. Allah is the opposite. He has no beginning, has no end. Number two, Allah says, Al-Samad is the one who gives everything and needs nothing. And this is the crux of Tawheed. And this is how we should frame the temporary world. And if we really believe this, then we have to ask ourselves, what are we living for? Are we living for temporary pleasure or permanent happiness? Are we banking on something that's going to end or are you investing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? La nihayata lahu wa ma'indallahi baqa. And this understanding is the foundation of zuhd, of taqwa, of everything, of generosity. Every, every good quality can fa- be found in a proper assessment and evaluation of the temporary world. And how I react to it. And how I place it in priorities. That's why one of our teachers used to say, Sheikh used to say to us that the dry eye is because of the hard heart. And 
And the hard heart is because of a lot of sins. And a lot of sinning is because I forgot death. And forgetting death is because I have fake asp false aspirations. And false aspirations, delusion, is because I love this dunya in an unhealthy way. And loving this dunya is the foundation of all mistakes. So that's why sometimes you find in Islamic work even, jealousy. Why is there Islamic work and jealousy? Because these people didn't understand that this doesn't matter. Power doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that we don't work for power, but not in an unhealthy way. Power is important. But not to the point where I destroy something good because I want power. So oftentimes we find in Islamic work, and uh, myself and Anwar, we've seen this in our, in our short time on this earth. How many noble efforts fell apart because people wanted to be calling the shots or in charge, or even with an MSA. But if I understand that this is for Allah and that these things are simply salt on the food, then that's not my priority. My priority is to do good. So Sheikh Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali, he says, إِنَّمَا هُوَ he says here, Afwan. He says, That by disciplining these four things, your worship will be upright. We mentioned that there are four. The first is the temporary world and all that's in it. And he says, Now, how do you repel that? How do you repel that unhealthy attachment to the dunya? How do you discipline it? It's first to peel away yourself from it. Tajarrud means to peel. What that means is that I look at the dunya, I look at my relation to it, and I peel the things that are unhealthy away from my life. What does it mean by unhealthy? Those things that come between me and worship? Those things that come between me and what's my responsibility. So for example, I'm watching the White Lotus or some kind of TV show, whatever, till four o'clock in the morning and then I miss Fajr. So then I need to look at my life, examine my life, and then I can say, oh man, I need to peel this away. I need to discipline this. I need to start going to sleep at 10.30. I need to start going to sleep at 11. So this is muhasaba. I take the time to inspect my relationship with the world. I'm, I'm talking to my fiance, not me, somebody. Talking to their fiance. MashaAllah, we love each other. The relationship's growing, it's blossoming. Alhamdulillah, Allah has put barakah. But then we talk so late at night, we, we, we miss Fajr. That's not a good way to start, man. So you want to discipline that nicely. I'm hanging out with my friends playing video games or just chilling. One of my teachers said, you chill too long, you're going to thaw in hell. So I'm chilling. 
And that causes me to miss something that I need to do for my parents or my wife and my kids. Sometimes brothers, when they first get married, they hang out all hours of the night and leave their wife at home alone. So they, they fail to uphold that responsibility. Or maybe the sister, she wants to be with her friends all the time that she was before she got married. And her husband, he starts to feel like, man, I'm out here on my own. Those are the kind of things we need to be careful of. Things that come between our worship, things that come between what we're responsible for. That's called a tajarrud. فَأَنَا أُجَرِّدْ Those things away. The second he said was zuhdu. And the word zuhd actually is from the word i'tirad. وَالزُّهْدُ فِيهَا أَيْ زُهْدُ فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا And what does that mean? That means that I live in this life, the simple definition for zuhd is that I live in this life in a way that I amplify the hereafter in its grandeur, in its promise, in its truth, and I shrink the grandeur and beauty of this dunya. So that I'm driven to be zuhid means that I'm driven, my life is driven by the hereafter, not driven by this world. The opposite of that is to be driven by the world and not for the hereafter. To die to live or to live to die. Oh. So zuhud is to live to die. The opposite of that is to die to live. A lot of people will die to live right now. They will climb up a tower with their girlfriend and have a phone in Dubai and take a picture so they can post it on TikTok or Instagram. Like, really, man? وَإِنَّمَا لَزِمَكَ هَذَا And he said, this has to happen. This constant sort of, if you will, uh, inventory of my life and seeing what is unhealthy, making sure I don't fall into patterns. One of the greatest mistakes of people is they think that religion is fixed. Religion isn't fixed. It's just like everything else. Your religion is always going to be up and down, as we know from our aqidah. So because of that instability, I have to check in. And make sure that I'm looking after it. Kullukum ra'in. Everyone's a shepherd. So the first thing, ura'i nafsi. So I have to make sure like what's good, I amplify. What's problematic, I peel it away. What zuhdu means to be indifferent. Like if you want to translate, zuhd actually means indifference. It doesn't mean to be irresponsible, as we're going to talk about later on. Zuhd doesn't mean to neglect all my responsibilities. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those things that cause us to forget the grandeur of the hereafter and to lose our will and our purpose, our determination for living for the hereafter. I have to control that and pull away from those things. This is zuhd. So I live to die. I die to, I live to die, not die to live. He said, this is important for two reasons. Ahaduha litastaqim lakal ibadatu. The first is so that your worship will be right and it will be abundant. 
He said, because if you have like an unhealthy hope in this world, it's going to occupy you. Occupy you from what? From worship. He said, the first is that it's going to impact the outer components of your life because you're going to seek the dunya. What he means here is in unhealthy ways, man. Like when we neglect our kids, or neglect our family, or neglect responsibility, or neglect helping Afghanistan, or neglect because I'm too busy trying to, you know, be famous, or get likes, or get attention. I'm all about that. I'm all about that shine and attention. I, I get, do I get a buzz off of knowing that people are giving me attention? Do I have spiritual ADHD? Sheikh, he said, watch out for that, man. Watch out for that. And as for internally, the dunya will occupy you by corrupting your will and by creating a lot of like internal conversations. Oh man, why did, why did Anwar use this kind of camera? He's trying to like, he's trying to be better than me. Oh man, why is Asen wearing those glasses instead of these glasses? I've seen people actually do that. I had sometimes someone came to me and say that someone at the masjid had worn something that was better than that what they wore to make them angry. I said, do you even know that person? They were like, no. I said, what are you talking about? Then how is that possible? And that, that's like, how self-consumed are you? And the sheikh, he says, That both of those things, running after the, the things that I don't need, excess is what he means by talib al-zahir, excess in dunya, and now we see climate change. We don't think that excess has harmed the world. Ask the people in Greece. Ask the people in California. Ask the people in Bangladesh. As the people in Algeria and Turkey, we don't think that living excessful lives, be, living beyond what we need, is not gravely impacting the world. So he says, Both of these, seeking the outer excess and then being inwardly driven by dunya, prohibit worship. They are aaq, min al awaiq. فَإِنَّ النَّفْسَ وَاحِدٌ Because your soul is one. وَالْقَلْبَ وَاحِدٌ And we only have one heart. فَإِذَا اشْتَغَلَ بِشَيْءٍ إِنْقَطْعًا ضِدِّهِ So if the soul and the heart get occupied by something, it's going to detach from whatever else it was, was attached to. فَإِنَّ مَثَلَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ كَمَثَلِ دُرَّتَيْنِ He gives this example. He says that the example of the dunya and the akhirah are like having two wives. Allah says, The Quran says, You will never be able to be just if you have more than one wife. And we know that in the Maliki Madhab, polygamy is not even sunnah, it's mubah, it's permissible. But the point he's making here is it's impossible to be like completely balanced with both. The same thing with Jannah 
او اخره ان دنيا ان اردت احداهما اسخط الاخرى if you were to make one of them happy then that make the other one angry and we can say for us now in this time يعني كوالدين right الجنه الاخره والدنيا كوالدين or like two children we always know that my own, my own daughter is only, only two years old and her, her cousin is almost nine and she saw me giving her something to her cousin and she's like Baba, Baba, Baba immediately she felt like hey I'm losing out on something it's impossible to balance both and he said, like, you know, Akhira and dunya are like directions, east and west, for example. If you lean east, you lean away from the west. If you lean west, you lean away from the east. In other words, you got to choose. You got to choose. And he says, as for the idea that, you know, the dunya can occupy you externally, we related on Abi Darda. He's saying that it's impossible to balance them both and you have to commit to one of them. He's saying that, yeah, like you have to synthesize it. So, I, I, and we'll talk about this later on. What now he's saying is in an unhealthy way. Like if I'm unhealthy, in an unhealthy way connected to the dunya, there's no way I can live for the akhirah. And there's also an unhealthy way to be connected with the akhirah. When people use connections to the hereafter as a means to absolve themselves of worldly responsibilities. فقد روينا عن أبي درداء رضي الله عنه أنه قال زاولت أن أجمع بين العبادة والتجارة فلم يجتمع فأقبلت على العبادة وتركت التجارة Of course, this is a first-round draft pick, man. We're talking about somebody who lived his life in a very different way than we live our lives, and he had the structure and support in his lifetime to live that way. From Abi Darda radiallahu anhu said, I tried to do both. I tried to be an abid, like full-time on my ibadah, and a businessman. Full-time on my business, and I couldn't do it. So I turned to ibadah. By no means is he encouraging you and I to not be involved in business or to find that synthesis. But he's given here, again, first-round draft picks, top-tier choice guys and women that were like living at a different time and a different level. Because there's a way, as we'll talk about later on, to synthesize the two. And keep in mind, Al-Ghazali is trying to make you uncomfortable right now. That's the purpose of how he's writing. Right? He's purposely trying to make you uncomfortable. Because he knows that people are going to be like, are you saying I can't do this? Are you saying I... He knows that. So he's kind of setting it up in a way. To show that, like, you very rarely do we find people say, are you saying I can't live for Jannah? Nobody ever says that. But it's always like, we get sensitive when it comes to dunya, man. We get very sensitive. وعن عمر رضي الله عنه وسيدنا عمر بن خطاب رضي الله عنه ما شاء الله الفروق agreed upon that his nickname from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم is فروق وسيدنا عمر رضي الله عنه is from the سابقين الإسلام 
those early generations of people who became Muslim. And one of the 10 who the Prophet said will be in Jannah. One of the Khulafa that the Prophet said we should emulate. And one of the confidence of the Prophet he was from the ulama of the Sahaba and the Zuhada of the Sahaba. The scholar and the one who lived indifferent to the world. And mashallah, he related on behalf of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam around 539 hadith. Sayyidina Bukhari, Sayyidina Muslim, uh, mentioned around, I think, 39 or more they agree on, if I remember correctly. Well, Sayyidina Umar used to say, لَوْ كَانَتَ مُجْتَمِعِينِ لِأَحَدٍ غَيْرِ لَجْتَمَعْتَ لِي لِمَا أَطَانِ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى مِنَ الْقُوَّةِ وَالْلِينَ Sayyidina Umar used to say, if anyone were to bring together two qualities, it would be the qualities that Allah granted me of being strong and also being kind and malleable. فَهَذَا صَعْب saying like it's almost impossible. فَإِذَا كَانَ الْحَدِيثُ وَكَذَلِكَ فَأَضِرَّ no. So Sayyidina Imam al-Ghazali continues and he says, if that's the case, then, you know, you should pull away from that thing which is fania, which is temporary. And choose a salama, means al-akhirah. وَأَمَّا بِالْقَلْبِ Now he talks about, so that was the outer, right? being outer occupied with the world in a way that's unhealthy. And we said that means two things. Number one, it comes between me and worship. Number two, it comes between me and what I'm responsible for. Right? Because there are aspects of the dunya that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made fard upon me. He says, وَأَمَّا بِالْقَلْبِ وَهُوَ الْبَاطِنِ and how the dunya occupies us internally, he says, is that it, what he means here is that it corrupts our determination, our purpose. It's, it's related on behalf of the Prophet that he said, Man وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ آخِرَتَهُ أَدَرَّ بِدُنْيَا فَآثِرُوا مَا يَبْقَى عَلَى مَا يَفْنَى That whoever loves this world will harm their hereafter. And whoever loves the hereafter will harm their world. Meaning I'm not necessarily going to be able to have all the fun I want to have. I'm not going to be able to do all the things and purchase all the things I want. I'm disciplined. الدُّنْيَا سِجْنُ مُؤْمِنَ This world is a prison. For the believer. And now we have to ask ourselves, do I want this dunya to be my jannah? That's a problem, man. Then the Prophet is reported to have said, So therefore, prefer what's going to last over what's going to uh, be destroyed. فَبَانَ لَكَ أَنَّهُ إِذَا اشْتَغَلَ ظَاهِرُكَ بِالدُّنْيَا وَبَاطِنُكَ بِإِرَادَتِهَا فَلَا تَتَيَسَّرُ لَكَ لَعِبَادَةُ حَقَّهَا He says, and these texts make it very clear 
that if someone were to become unhealthily occupied with the inner and outer components of this world, then worship is not going to be easy for them. وَأَمَّا إِذَا زَهَدْتَ فِيهَا فَتَفَرَّقْتَ بِظَاهِرِكْ وَبَاطِنِكْ تَتَيَسَّرُ لَكَ الْعِبَادَةِ But if you were to be indifferent to the opulence and unhealthy components of this world, and to, and the word he uses is to empty out, right? But to empty out the unhealthy components of this world from your inner and outer, then ibadah will become easy. You'll find a lightness to worship. And in fact, he said, you will find that you know your limbs will assist you. Like you've you've lifted the weight of the world off you. So it's as though your 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 whole body will now assist you in worshiping. It has been related from Sayyidina Salman al-Farisi radiyallahu ta'ala anhu أنه قال إن العبد إذا زهد في الدنيا استنار قلبه بالحكمة وتعاونت أعضاؤه في العبادة الله أكبر It's a very beautiful statement of Sayyidina Salman al-Farisi He said إن العبد إذا زهد If a slave of Allah becomes indifferent to the unhealthy components of this world and even to the allowable components, as we'll talk about later, as long as it doesn't violate a fard, his or her light heart will be illuminated with wisdom. And he will find that his, his own limbs will cooperate with him in worship because he has subjected his limbs to the ibadah of Allah. فَهَذِهِ هَذِهِ That was the first issue. وَثَانِي مِنَ الْأَمْرَيْنِ And the second issue أَنَّهُ يَكْثُرَ أَوْ يَكْثُرَ قِيمَةَ عَمَرِكَ وَيُعَظِّمْ قُدْرَهُ وَشَرَفَهُ So remember he said there's two things, right? That this dunya is going to impact us in these ways, and now he moves on to the second. And that is that it is going to increase the value of doing good in our lives. When we discipline and when we control and chain unhealthy attachments to the dunya by being indifferent to opulence and tajarrud, being introspective of the things that are impacting my marriage, my family, my children, my work, my purpose, my worship. He said the second outcome is going to be that you're going to find value in good. And that it will allow you to appreciate the value of good and the honor of being someone who does good. And here he's talking about ibadah. 
that the Prophet وسلم, is reported to have said رَكْعَتَانِ مِنْ رَجُلٍ عَالِمٍ زَاهِدٍ قَلْبُهُ خَيْرٌ وَأَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ الْمُتَعَبِّدِينَ إِلَى آخِرِ الدَّهْرِ This narration is attributed to the Prophet who said two rakat of prayer from a person who has knowledge and is indifferent to this world. Their heart is indifferent to this world. The opulence of this world is better and more beloved to Allah than the worship of just people who don't have that for, for an entire lifetime. فَإِذَا كَانَتَ الْعِبَادَةَ تَشْرُفُ وَتَكْثُرَ أَوْ تَكْثُرُ بِذَلِكَ فَحَقَّ لِمَنْ طَلَبَ الْعِبَادَةَ أَنْ يَزْهَرَ فِي الدُّنْيَا now he goes back to the two points he made. He says, so therefore, if your purpose is worship, and if a person's purpose is worship, then they should take this very seriously, that they should start to live a life of introspection. What are the things that are motivating me to live with passion? And does the hereafter motivate me to live passionately? And secondly, what are the unhealthy things that are orbiting my life that are keeping me from a life of worship? I need to distance myself from that and control that. And he said, this is the key to a life of worship and devotion. He said, perhaps you're going to say, فَمَا مَعْنَى الزُّهْدْ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَمَا حَقِيقَةُ ذَلِكَ What does it mean to be zahid? What does it mean to be a person who's indifferent? Most of the time what I find with Muslims is that they get upset because they don't understand terms correctly. They understand terms on their own terms because they never learned. So oftentimes the, the, the popular Muslim, the public Muslim, the Muslim who hasn't studied is someone whose Islam is largely defined and sanctioned by their imagination, not by studying. And that's why usually when I ask people, they have issues with things, I ask them, what does this word mean? They say, well, I think, I don't care what you think. What does it mean? What does a dictionary say it means? And then they start to get in their feelings. But that's, this is religion. It's not like, as Al-Qadi Abu Bakr ibn Arabi said, that religion is not based on like personal whims. That doesn't mean that we can have reflections and engage. Of course not. We don't want to create some kind of authoritarian situation. But definitive meanings should come through. Let the religion speak for itself. So one of my teachers used to say, it's Islam or Hislam or Herslam. فَمَا مَعْنَى الزُّهْدِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَمَا حَقِيقَةُ ذَلِكَ So Sayyidina Abi Hamad says, maybe you're going to ask, what does zuhd really mean? فَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الزُّهْدَ عِنْدَ عُلَمَائِنَا رَحِيمُهُمُ اللَّهِ زُهْدًا He says, indifference to this world, as defined by scholars, is two. One of the ironies of the contemporary Muslim is that in the name of post-colonialism, post-colonial revolution, they reject the ulama. 
Anyone see the contradiction in that? That I am going to act in a revolutionary stance against colonialism and to remove the yoke of white supremacy from my life by rejecting scholarship. But isn't colonialism and white supremacy largely resting on the idea of rejecting Muslim scholarship in particular and the role of ulama? This is contradictory. When the French came to Algeria, the first people they killed weren't the soldiers. The first people they murdered and slaughtered were ulama. When the West, speaking of Afghanistan, may Allah bless and, and, and bring peace and justice to brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, inshallah. In Afghanistan, because they couldn't conquer Afghanistan, as well as in Egypt, you know what they did? They made movies. And in those movies, they made fun of who? They made fun of the shiukh. They made fun of the ulama. So if I'm claiming to reject the role of scholars, the authority that Allah has given ulama, not an, not, not an uncheckable authority like the Catholic Church, in the name of revolting against colonialism, I have in fact adopted a colonial attitude. I have become now an extension of white supremacy. That's the irony of all of it. Subhanallah. So you got to be really careful that you learn and appreciate the scholarship that we have. It's not, we don't say scholars are perfect. Of course not. But mashallah, we have to refer authoritatively to our religion. This is not like chickens with a head cut off, man. So he says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الزُّهْدَ عِنْدَ عُلَمَائِنَا رَحِيمُهُمُ اللَّهُ زُهْدًا That indifference to the world as defined by ulama is two. وَعَلَيْكُمْ سَلَامُ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهُ Two types. زُهْدٌ مَقْدُورٌ لِلْعَبْدِ وَزُهْدٌ غَيْرُ مَقْدُورٍ Allahu Akbar. The first is a form of zuhud which you and I have like Allah has given us utility. We can control it. The second is a form of indifference which is beyond our ability. And that which we can control the first is not asking for things that we don't have. Like we shouldn't ask for things that we don't have unless, it's, unless we need it. So basically avoiding opulence. To live a life of minimalism. Look at the Muslim world. You want to know what's wrong with the Muslim world? Because of capitalism, we have begun to view the prism of wealth through success. But we look at wealth, we look at wealth as something to be careful with. Not something that should just be unabatedly acquired. 
And the acquisition of wealth does not necessarily equate to the true value of who I am as a person. If we want to know why we are where we are today, as an ummah, what are we living for? How many of us pray at night? How many of us stand at night at least once a week and cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How many of us fast once or twice a month? How many of us are doing secret deeds in an age of exhibition, the circus of Instagram and TikTok? Who are those people who sometimes they hide their good? Everything doesn't have to be shared. If we evaluate just our attitude towards wealth, the acquisition of wealth, and who we admire, who we want to be like, will tell us a lot about ourselves. So the first, تَتَرْكُوا طَلَبِ الْمَفْقُودِ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا The second, وَالتَفْرِيقُ الْمَجْمُوعِ مِنْهَا is to distance myself, to separate from certain components of the dunya. And the last, وَالتَرْكُوا إِرَادَتِهَا وَاخْتِيَارِهَا And the third is to control my will, that I don't live just for this world. This stuff is hard, man. By no means am I claiming that I, I like reading this book because when I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of work to do on myself. So by no means am I here talking in the voice of like, yeah, I did this. Oh, no, nah, man. Absolutely not. Passionately getting upset. Ah, oh, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give that person those Gucci tennis shoes and I didn't get them? Really? Gosh dang, man, that's what you live for, dude? Why did I get into this graduate school and someone else did? And being able to eventually understand how I can pull away from it. And then internally, internally checking my purpose. What am I determined? What drives me? Is it the likes in the heavens or the likes on the gram? What pushes me? What is the intrinsic gas that operates the motor of my purpose? That's what I got to get into. The book we're reading, this is the 14th lesson, mashallah, welcome. The Methodology of the Worshippers Who Are Headed to Allah by Abu Hamad Al-Ghazali Rahimuhullah. وَأَمَّا زُهْدُ الَّذِي هُوَ غَيْرُ مَقْدُورِ لِلْعَبْدِ فَهُوَ بِرُودَةُ شَيْئِ عَلَى الْقَبِ الزَّاهِدِ نعم. And as for the component of zuhd that you cannot control is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the love, the unhealthy love of this world from the heart of his servant or her. 
ثم زهد الذي هو مقدور للعبد مقدمات للزهد الذي هو غير مقدور للعبد الشيخ says and the zuhd which you and I have control over by ithnillah bi'ithnillah right those three things that we we mentioned not seeking something that I don't need pulling away from it and controlling my determination he said all of that is the beginnings of the second part of zuhd where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings light to the heart and grants someone the ability to see and they longer know have those have those unhealthy attachments and this happens to all of us have you ever like look back at your life and there were things like you really wanted you had to have like, oh my gosh i have to have the most important thing in your life and then you look back at it you're like that was so minuscule why, why why was i going crazy over that wasn't even important because now you you dilated you see in a bigger way فَإِذَا أَتَى بِهِ الْعَبْدُ بِأَنْ لَا يَطْلُبَ مَا لَيْسَ عِنْدَهُ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَيُفَرِّقْ مَا عِنْدَهُ مِنْهَا وَيَتْرُكَ بِالْقَلْبِ إِرَادَتَهَا وَاخْتِيَارِهَا وَاخْتِيَارَهَا لِأَجْرِ اللَّهِ وَعَظِيمِ ثَوَابِهِ بِتَذَكُّرِهِ لِآفَاتِهَا أَوْرَثَتْهُ تِلْكَ بُرُودَهِ Allahu Akbar So therefore, if a person does that, they no longer seek what they don't have, unless they have to have it. That's different. Opulence. وَيُفَرِقْ مَا عِنْدَهُ مِنْهَا And they distance themselves from the unhealthy components that they have in their life. وَيَتْرُكَ بِالْقَلْبِ إِرَادَتَهَا And that they begin to control their determination and their will. وَاخْتِيَارَهَا لِأَجَلِ اللَّهِ For the sake of Allah. وَعَظِيمِ ثَوَابِهِ And because the greatness of Allah's promises and rewards. بِتَذَكُّرِهِ By remembering لِأَفَاتِهَا The shortcomings of the dunya. أَوْرَثَتُ تِلْكَ بُرُودَهِ then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will inherit that guidance in their hearts, which is غير مقدور. أي برود الدنيا على قلب. وهذا عندي هو الزهد الحقيقي. And Abu Hamad al-Ghazari says, this is real zuhd. That process. ثم أعلم أن أصعب الأمور الثلاثة إنما هو ترك الإرادة بالقلب. يا الله. And he says, out of all of those things that we talked about, the most difficult one, out of not seeking what you don't have, separating from things that are unhealthy, and controlling your internal drive, the most difficult is controlling your internal drive. Getting to the, the reality of what you live for. What's my purpose? What drives me? إِذَا كَمْ مَنْ تَارِكِ اللَّهَ بِظَاهِرِهِ مُحِبْ مُرِيدًا لَهَا بِبَاطِنِهِ Ya Allah. He said, how many people, they left it, but they still want it. How many people pulled away from something maybe they had to? Maybe it was harming their job, harming their family. But inside, like, yo, if I could still do that, I would do it. He said, that, this, cutting off that will, from wanting what's unhealthy in this world is hard. 
شَدِيدًا مِنْ نَفْسِهِ Extremely difficult. وَشَأْنُ كُلُّهُ فِي هَذَا And this is the essence of the entire discussion. Is it getting to the heart of it? أَلَمْ تَسْمَعْ إِلَىٰ قَوْرِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ So think about the words of Allah. تِلْكَ دَارُ الْآخِرَةُ نَجْعَلُهَا لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُرِيدُونَ عُلُوًّا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فَسَادًا Allah says in the Quran that this everlasting abode of the hereafter, we have made it for those who do not want uluwan, don't want to have ulu in the earth. Think about social media culture. Social media certainly has its benefits, but we have to discipline it and control it. That it really pushes us to live beyond who we are instead of to embrace who we're not. So if I'm worried about living who I who 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 I'm who, beyond who I am and not embracing what I'm not, this is delusion. And it's gonna lead to arrogance. And corruption. Abu Hamad says, عَلَّقَ الْحُكْمَ بِنَفْعِلْ إِرَادَ دُونَ الطَّرَبْ وَالْفِعْلْ الْمُرَادِ This is interesting, right? He said, if you think about the verse, it didn't say anything about like not asking for what you don't have or like separating from the dunya. The entire verse said that the key to having success in the next life is not to want irada. وقوله سبحانه من كان يريد من كان يريد حرث الآخرة نزيد له في حرثي ومن كان يريد حرث الدنيا نؤتيه منها وما له في الآخرة من نصيب اللهم فينا يا رب الله says who wants to cultivate the hereafter will increase them in their produce and who wants to cultivate the dunya will increase them in that, but they'll have no khair, nothing, no portion in the hereafter. وَقَوْلُهُ تَعَلَى مَنْ كَانَ يُرِيرُ الْعَاجِلَةَ عَجَّلْنَا لَهُ فِيهَا مَا نَشَاءُ Surah Isra, يعني, whoever wants al-ajila, al-ajila is this dunya. They live for that. عَجَّلْنَا لَهُ فِيهَا مَا نَشَاءُ We will bring it to them. وَقَوْلِهِ وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْآخِرَةَ وَسَعَى لَهَا سَعْيَهَا وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ فَأُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ سَعْيُهُمْ مَشْكُورًا Right, whoever wants to live, whoever wills to live for the akhirah and struggles for it. أَمَّا تُرَى الْإِشَارَةَ كُلَّهَا إِلَى الْإِرَادَةَ And he said, think about all these verses about the hereafter. He's talking about what you want. What you want. Didn't mention any of the other things. So the Sheikh is saying this is used to support the idea that the key to all of it is what drives us. So therefore, this is a very important thing. وَتَرْكَ فَمَأْمُرُ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَفَقَهُ لِدَفْعِ هَذِهِ الْإِرَادَةِ وَالْاخْتِيَارِ عَنْ قَلْبِهِ فَإِنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى الْمُتَفَضِّلُ الْكَرِيمُ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ 
Then he continues in ثم الذي يبعث على التركي والتفريق ويهون عليك ذلك ذكر أفات الدنيا وعيو بها. Shall next week we're going to pick up on this part. He talks about how can you strengthen your will and how can you and I strengthen our focus when we look at this world so that we're able to be um, you know, have determination in living for the hereafter. For next week, insha'Allah ta'ala bi'idnillah bi'awnihi yah. And then in that, he's going to define this balance. Maybe somebody's listening, and I said this so many times, that anything you hear should be understood in moderation. He's not saying, turn your back on everything, nor is he saying, you know, jump into the world with impunity. La, ya sheikh. Balance, 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 balance. We're going to talk about that, inshallah. Someone's asking, I, I, alhamdulillah, I save these every time. And also I post a, a, a good copy of it on my YouTube page as well. All my lectures you can find on my YouTube page, alhamdulillah, that are long like this. Thank you for asking. Someone's asking about qaza'ah. And we know qaza is the Prophet وسلم, in Sahih al-Bukhari when he saw this boy and his hair was like uneven. This is qaza. Qaza means though, as mentioned by scholars of fiqh and mentioned by Sayyidina Imam Ibn Hajr, is when like I have hair here, no hair here, hair here, no hair here, hair here, no hair here. Basically like I try to cut myself, you know what I'm saying? It's all crazy. It's not talking about fades. It's not talking about stuff like that, man. That, that is not the application of the hadith. Do you still have the Snapchat account where you ask my, any questions you have? Wallahi, I became so busy. You know, babies and bills, man. Sounds like a rap album, babies and bills. But mashallah, I answer questions from time to time here. On, on the gram, mashallah. So I'll try to do better. You can send me something, I'll try to respond, inshallah. Wafaqanallahu ta'ala wa iyakum. Any questions here on the, where the NYU folks at, man? Uh, welcome, welcome, alhamdulillah, Natalia. What do you think about hitting cups together and saying cheers? It depends what's in the cup. <laughs> it depends what's in the cup, right? So alhamdulillah, it depends what's in the cup. Where can I ask you questions other than the live? You know, that's difficult, man. Unfortunately, the time that I have these days because of school uh, and other responsibilities is difficult to, uh, to find that time, you know. Does Imam al-Ghazali discuss despair, hopeless? Absolutely. He is going to talk about despair and hopelessness later on. You can ask questions here. You can send it to me. I don't get the opportunity to check my messages like I used to. It's tomorrow Ashura. Man, I'm not getting involved in that. Just go to your local masjid, ask your imam. 
or call, look at the website on your local masjid. Just follow your local masjid, alhamdulillah. Don't make this hard, man. Just follow your local scholars. Someone asked, how do you know you're not properly balancing the deen and the dunya? First and foremost, through ahkam. That's why we have fiqh. What is the purpose of fiqh? The purpose of fiqh is to help us scale, scaffold ibadah in a balanced way. So what fiqh says is haram, I should treat it as haram. What fiqh says is fard, I should treat it as fard. What fiqh says is impermissible, I treat it as such. What fiqh says is an obligation, I treat it as such. What fiqh says is permissible, makru or mubah, I treat it as such. That's how I stay balanced. Most of the time what happens is people treat the makru like it's haram, the haram like it's mustahab, the mustahab like it's fard. It's chaos. Ah, that's so beautiful, Yasmin. Barakallahu fiki. Jazakillahu khair. Is it halal to own a service dog and keep it in the house? Absolutely, because you have a need, right? This is a service dog. So, of course, if somebody has a need, we used to have, mashallah, years ago at UC Berkeley, there was a brother who was blind. Mashallah, he was a genius. He was a lawyer. Subhanallah, at UC Berkeley. He went to law school, UC Berkeley, he was blind. And he used to come to the masjid with his dog. And he would pray and go. And some people, they got angry. And he said to them, I'm already blind, right? Like, I already live a very lonely life. Now you want to kick me out of the masjid? Yeah. So if there is a illa or some kind of need, of course, a service dog, may Allah bless you and cure you, inshallah, and help whoever needs a service dog. And the failure of humanity to serve one another is now we have to turn to dogs to serve us. Right? The failure of us collectively as a species to love and care for each other and to share and to be selfless. Now people have to turn to other sources of service. And of course, certainly this is not to undermine the importance of service dogs, but just to say like, subhanAllah, Allahu Akbar. So can you talk about, this is such a great question, Fatima, may Allah bless you, mashallah. Come on, NYU people. Y'all getting taken out by the Instagram people, man. Fatima comes in and asks such a great question. The question is, can you talk about the afterlife for people who died from or with mental illness? Allahu Akbar, subhanAllah. Fatima, I'm so sorry. Uh, I had a roommate once that had a mental illness, a very serious mental illness. And I've seen, you know, how the stigma of people that have mental illness in a second, his, his challenge of just like functioning, man, was incredible. So people who die from mental illness, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just. And we understand that people who die of mental illness and people that have those challenges, if they die, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to judge them according to his mercy, right? And within that mercy is the idea of their ability. So what they were able to do and what they had the ability to do, that's where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah comes in, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. So most definitely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rahimun, ghafoorun. In fact, there's this, the, the hadith of the man, when he died, you know, he said to his companions, his family, 
burn my body and spread the ashes everywhere. In Sahih Muslim, then when he's resurrected, this is unacceptable in Islam. We don't believe in cremation when, that it's acceptable for us. When he's resurrected, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask him, why did you do that? He said, because I feared you. So because of his emotional state, Allah says that he forgive him, enters him into Jannah. Also the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam who Prophet said that there's a man who loses everything in the desert. This hadith is related by Bukhari and Muslim and he finds what he thought he lost and he's so happy. He's so happy that he says, Allahumma anta rabbi wa ana abduk. Allahumma ana rabbuk wa anta abdi. He says, oh Allah, I am your Lord and you are my slave. This is kufr. But the Prophet said, Allah will forgive him because shiddat farhihi, because he was so happy. So if that's the case with people who out of, you know, they're not suffering from mental illnesses, but they're overcome by emotions and Allah forgives them, then what about people who are suffering with the emotional and mental illness? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so forgiving, so loving, alhamdulillah, so kareem, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. What is the argument over dogs in Islam and what are the opinions on it? So that's a full, that's a, like a weekend class, but very simply put, the majority of ulama do not allow dogs in the house unless there is a reason, like for example, a service dog or someone needs security. Right? And, and outside of that, even the Madakis, this is kind of, some people talk about it, they don't allow dogs in the home. Only the Madakis though, consider dogs not to be najis. So we don't, in our training, consider dogs to be najis, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. That's a simple, like, quick, uh, let's not turn this into a dog. <laughs> a dogathon. How do we know we are fulfilling our duty to family and parents? MashaAllah, MashaAllah. What a, a, a great question. How do I know I'm fulfilling my duty to my wife, to my parents, to my kids, is I ask them, am I doing a good job? Right? Ideally, in any normal situation, not in situations that are not normal, but in normal situations, the most important thing families can do is communicate. Unfortunately, people don't value communication, and that leads to the destabilization of relationships. But that's the best way, is to ask. My mother was dying. I saw my mother die in front of me, subhanAllah. And I asked my mother, are you happy with me? She said, yes. Ask my wife, are you happy with me? Yes. Okay. Ask my kids, are you happy with me as Baba? Yes. Alhamdulillah. And if they say no, what can I do to be better? How do you know Allah is pleased with you? MashaAllah, Sundus. Such a good question. Imam al-Muhasibi said, if you want to know if Allah is pleased with you, ask yourself if you're pleased with Allah. If I want to know that Allah is pleased with me, let me ask myself, am I pleased with Allah? How do you balance taking care of yourself without, while taking care of others? I think it's very, very important to have, let me phrase this in a very uh, wise way, if I can. I think that is extremely important 
and sign of a mature human being and an intelligent human being that you have created healthy limits in your life. That's very important. Your life has to be structured. So I think that family is important as long as family doesn't run over you and mistreat you, even in the name of religion, right? And, and cause you pain and suffering or abuse. La. Same thing with friends. Same thing with community, right? That they have to respect my boundaries. Boundaries aren't a bad thing. You know, my daughter is 20 years old. My conversation with her is, tell me what, where you want to be independent. Something we never talk with our kids about, independence, because we're scared of it. But you know what? It's a sign, of, a sign of a mature person that they understand where and how they want to be independent, have their own say in life. It's very important. What should I do if I live in an environment that does not support being religious? I mean, what do, those pe what do I do with those people? So first of all, we need to define what does it mean to be religious? What does religious mean to you? So you can type that in the chat box and that will allow me to answer that question better. What does it mean to live religious? How to not lose motivation when on the quest of knowledge, especially when it starts getting difficult. Because when it starts getting difficult, that means you're growing. Right? When it starts getting, it depends what we mean by difficult. But if you start to feel a little bit challenged, we've all been there, man. And that's where you have to push through. And after a while, alhamdulillah, it will become easy. We'll take a few more questions, insha'Allah. Uh, and then we have to uh, get ready for Maghrib. Maghrib, but always a pleasure. So I'm going to try every week to leave like 30 minutes just for Q&A. Any, you can ask anything, insha'Allah. Any questions, feel free to ask that are religious, religious related. That's, that's, that's my specialty is that I can't talk about things that I'm not trained in. Uh, but if there's any other questions, uh, we can take them now. If not, barakallahu fikum wa jazakum allahu khairan wa sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina Muhammad. Why is it that when we get closer to Allah, the dunya falls apart? I don't think that that happens every time, but it certainly happens every once in a while because when we become aware of Allah's permanence, then the, the temporary world becomes much more amplified. And as we become more aware of righteousness and piety, we also become much more aware of sin. But I think we have to, if you can reach out to me, we can walk through that. What does that mean that the dunya falls apart? That's an abstraction. Just like when someone said, be religious. What do you mean by be religious? What do you mean by the dunya falls apart? Can we still reap the benefits of the wisdom in Imam Ghazali's book, even if we practice it alone as opposed to together with a community or a person? Romana, that is such a great question. May Allah bless you. Absolutely. And sometimes it's safer to be alone, right? 
Sometimes communities can be a challenge. Sometimes I may live near a mosque, unfortunately, who may adopt certain attitudes and ideas that hurt me. Unfortunately, in that situation, you know, you have to think about some things. How to know the answer of istikhara? MashaAllah, istikhara. So I actually have a lecture on YouTube, if you go to my YouTube page, on hard decisions. And if you watch that, I go through pretty much all you need to know about istikhara. MashaAllah. Allahu Akbar, listen to this question. I fostered twins 2.5 years old and I fell pregnant and due in December, inshallah. I have been struggling and feel heavy in my heart with taking care of them as a mother wants to fight for them. Allah, first of all, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you for adopting children. This is very different than what people think. People think adoptions haram in Islam. They're confusing terms, the danger of terms. Number two is may Allah bless those children and bless you with nur and tawfiq alhamdulillah and increase you in khair to uh, be there for them. And then number three, mashallah, congratulations on your pregnancy. Super exciting. So awesome. Mashallah. I remember my wife came to me and she said, I have something to tell you. I said, what? She said, I'm pregnant. I said something totally stupid. I said, what gave you that idea? <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Don't say that, man. Don't say that. Brothers, write that down in gold. Do not say that. What you want to say is, MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. I said, what gave you that idea? So, I think it's important that you do a few things. Number one is, take a few steps back and celebrate some wins, man. You know, sometimes what I notice with mothers is they don't celebrate any wins. Everything's a failure. Oh my gosh, you know, my, my child refused to eat the gluten-free crack, cracker, non-grain cracker today, and the world's coming to an end. No, man, the world is not going to come to an end. It's okay. So sometimes celebrate success, even though you may feel like you're not doing good. You know, I've known people like mothers who get, get down when their kids are constipated, but that's beyond you. You can't, you can't do anything about it, right? I get, you know, it's like, Celebrate and pat yourself on the back. Number two is you got to get your husband involved as best you can. Tell him, look, man, I need help, bro. I got to have some help here. Pregnancy is war on the hormones, right? It does, it does so much damage to the body, to the mind, to the emotional state of people. Like it's very difficult. And it's unfortunate that we see they keep showing these women in the Olympics who are pregnant and went to the Olympics. That's like 0.1% of the world. That is, and that's also how they market motherhood, right? They're capitalizing on motherhood. It's very difficult, right? Pregnancy is very hard. So brothers, be better listeners. Husbands, be better listeners. Be more generous and be volunteering when your wife is pregnant. Don't expect them to be able to do things that they did before. It's very difficult. They're going to war right now for your child. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. The third thing is... Try to find good support groups. So you want to find a good support group of maybe pregnant women, women who are going through pregnancy, women who've adopted and are currently pregnant. So you can share best practices, inshallah, and keep yourself motivated, inshallah.
So someone's, you know, saying, uh, it's a very important post here. Someone's saying there are so many hardships in, and sadness in the world. I have four kids and I work. My life is so much better, alhamdulillah, than millions of others in the world, but I feel guilty. So we should not allow the difficulties of the world to blot out our happiness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our zeal to heal this fractured world. So while my heart is broken and I'm crushed because I have so many friends from Afghanistan, I have so much love, alhamdulillah. I lived in uh, Afghan communities in different parts of my life, alhamdulillah. I have a, 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 a love for Paya. Alhamdulillah, a love for Pashtun, a love for Dari, a love for the history, the Islamic history in this incredible land. And my heart since the 70s, since 1979, breaks. But at the same time, I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands me to do good and commands me to work hard and to realize that the hereafter is better than this dunya and to do my best to help others and to be part of the solution. I should not allow myself to be so consumed by the problems of the world that I no longer have the energy to be a solution to them. La'a. And as we finish, inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by all of his names and attributes, the weight of his arsh and the number of his creation and his words to protect and bless and bring peace and love and tranquility to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. As we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia and in Algeria and Turkey and Bosnia and Mali in the Maldives in Malaysia. SubhanAllah, we see again today political challenges impacting Malaysia where COVID-19 is have an incredible impact. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Yemen, Palestine, and Iran, and Iraq, and Syria. And Al-Muslimin, alhamdulillah, kullihim, inshallah. Nas'al Allah Azza wa Jalla yahfadhuhum, yuslih baalahum, yuthabbit aqadamahum, ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to unite us together as we united tonight for this short gathering in the hereafter. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us take the khair that we heard and implement it in our lives. We ask Allah subhanahu wa to love us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa to forgive us. We ask Ya Rabbana khud bi aidina. Ask Allah subhanahu wa to accept us, even though we have so many shortcomings and so many mistakes and so many uh, sin. We ask Allah subhanahu wa an yataqabbal minna ma qaddamna min al khair. We ask Allah subhanahu wa to uh, allow us to be khaira ummah. التي أخرجت للناس وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيد الأولين والآخرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته